Well, good morning, MCC. For those of you who are joining us in person and those of us who are joining online, welcome in to our Sunday gathering. It's such an awesome uh, privilege that you, if you're watching this online, you would take some time out of your week to be here with us. If we have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Trent, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at MCC. Hey, for those of you who are joining us online, we'd love to connect with you. Um, we know, like, for whatever reason, um, being online and connecting there is what you feel like is best, and, and we respect that, but we want you to know that it, it doesn't have to stay only online, that we want to connect with you as a person, so you're not just looking through a window about what's going on here, but you're actually able to connect with a person. And so we'd love for you to fill out that link so that that can happen there. For everybody else who's watching online, those other people, you're part of MCC, and maybe today isn't your first time, like, comment, share. Let that comment section just be a place that's like a digital lobby where all sorts of prayer requests are being made known. People are talking with each other, sharing those types of things, and we're going to have a great time engaging online and here in person. So I want to talk to you guys about two big things that are coming up at MCC before we dive in. First thing is I want you to celebrate with me uh, this group of people right here. I'm going to show you this group of people and you're like, who are these people? What are they doing? But I want to show you this group of people. I want to show you this group of people and celebrate this group of people because this group of people just finished going through a uh, 11 plus week long course training to be counselors, lay counselors to people who are struggling with mental health issues, whether that's uh, seasonal uh, depression, whether that's uh, someone who has lost someone, whether that's anxiety, depression, any of those things. And so for those of you who are watching this or those of you who are here, I want you to know that MCC is a church that takes mental health seriously. And we would love to connect you with one of these counselors to be able to talk you through whatever it is you're going through. So if you're watching online, the link is there. If you're here in person, you can go online and connect. And we would love to get you set up and connected with someone who can walk you through in a biblically grounded way, whatever it is that you're going to, so that you know that there is someone out there. There is somebody who cares. There is somebody who will listen. And these people are that. Um, Next thing I want to talk to you about, it's coming up, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. November 18th, we have been in this series called At War, and we are going to really rile some things up next Wednesday on the 18th, 7 p.m. We are having a night of prayer and worship. This is going to be where we lean in. This is not a concert. This is not where we line up some amazing musicians, and we all come and listen to how great they are. This is where we, as God's people, come, and we lay our worship before him. We strip all things aside, and we sing and pray together as God's people. It's going to be an amazing night. I cannot wait uh, to be there to do that with you guys. Families are welcome. We're going to all get in here. We're going to sing our praise to God. And it's going to be a powerful, powerful night where I believe God's going to shift and move and do some amazing things. So those are two big things that are coming up. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive into what God has for us today. Jesus, we need you. We need you, Jesus. Father, we brought all sorts of feelings and emotions and all sorts of... We are all over the spectrum this week, God. You know our inmost being. You know our thoughts. You know our prayers. You know, God, what people brought into this room. I pray that today they don't have to pretend that you, through the preaching of your word, you would just allow them to be honest with themselves and honest with you, God, that we would have a realistic idea of where we're at. But God, I pray that the people know that, that, that it is okay for them to be where they are right now, but you don't want them to stay there, God. You want everybody, whether or not it's a person who's been a Christian for years and years and years, or the person who is coming in, exploring, or even the person who is against us. God, you, through your word, I am believing by faith, you're gonna allow everyone today to take a step in your direction. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. In your name, amen. 
Well, if you're tracking with this whole Armor of God series we're in, and we're going to be in this for eight weeks, and we're kind of coming up as we're piecing apart this Armor of God today, we're going to be talking about um, these shoes. We're going to be talking about this gospel of peace. And I don't know about you, but man, I am just really excited that it lined up this way. Um, This past week was one, depending on whichever side you were on, you were like, hey, I am really excited. Or you're like, hey, I'm really nervous. Regardless, here's what I know, friends. As you most have figured out by now, I have refused and will continue to refuse to use this pulpit as a place to get into politics. But here's what I know, and here's what I will unequivocally say to you. You were not created for this world. So don't get too excited about anything that you think is good or anything that you think is bad that is going on in this world. You are not created to be of this world. You are created to be salt and light in this world because you, through Jesus, are made for so much more. You're created to be His. You're created to be a part of a bigger and greater kingdom that is not red, that is not blue. A kingdom that is big. Yeah. That's something to be excited about. So, so let's do this. Let's be unified. Again, that's, that's Satan's big strategy. When Jesus, before He went to go to be with the Father, before He even went to the cross, when He said, hey, I'm going to pray for my church. And he prayed for you. The thing that He prayed for was unity. Because He knew that divided we would fall and united we would be able to push back the gates of hell. So let's do that together. Let's lock arms. Let's get over differences, lock arms, and go after what I believe Jesus is calling us after. While I believe this is a a collective message around peace that I think is, is for us, it is also something that is for me. As some of you who know my story know, It was in a series like this, exact same series, on uh, the armor of God, being a battle-ready believer, that three years ago this week, after preaching the message on the exact same topic that I'm going to be preaching you today, I I got off the stage, and within a few short hours, I received news that my father had been shot and killed. And so today is an emotional day for me. So as you sit wherever you are, be, be praying for me in this, because everything in me wanted to not talk about this today. But I can unequivocally say to you that in these few short minutes I have next with you, if I had the chance to preach about anything else, and if this was my last sermon on earth, I would still preach this message to you. Because I believe that this is how God is taking what the devil meant for evil and continuing in my life to turn it for good. So if you got a Bible... I invite you to go grab it, go to Ephesians chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. Ephesians 6, that's going to be uh, kind of the place where we've been going to and then jumping off over the course of this entire series. Ephesians 6, we're going to start in verse 10, go through verse 15. Today, we are talking about footwear, so it seems fitting that we would stand to our feet and read this together. Loud, proud, confident, and the God we serve and the power that is in His Word. It's going to be on the screen. If you don't have a, uh, an actual in-your-hand Bible or a phone Bible, uh, don't feel bad. You can read the Sky Bible up there, uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 15. Let's read this together. Verse 10, let's go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, 
so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, God, for your word. You guys can have a seat. So, to give a brief recap of where we've been at so far, we have said we are in a real battle, a real battle between good and evil. But in that real battle, we have made it very clear of who we are fighting against. We've said it almost every single week, and I've made you say it out loud because even today we need to be reminded of this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. And the big point that we've leaned into and tried to make over and over again, and we will continue to make over and over again, is people are not the problem. Let's say it all together one more time. People are not the problem. All right, from there, we dove into prayer. And we said, hey, if we are going to be Christians who want to live out of this power that supposedly is now available to us through Jesus, then it starts with prayer. That a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And then we started to to actually dive into this armor of God. And we talked about this belt of truth and how truth is what God says about any subject. That that is what is true. Then we learned about righteousness. And we learned how God has uh, given us his righteousness through giving his son to die for us. And through faith, we receive this imputed righteousness so that when God now looks at us, he looks at us justified. Just if we had never sinned. And then calls us to live out a sanctified life. So that our old selves and who we were begins to fade away and away and away. And when people see us, they see less of who we used to be and see more of who Jesus is. And today, we're going to be diving in to this footwear. What a soldier would wear on their feet. Paul says, fit your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, if you, like Paul, Paul wrote this because he was in a Roman prison. He's there in Roman prison, and he is looking at a Roman soldier. As he sees this Roman soldier, he sees his feet. And Roman footwear was incredibly important. Shoes, for whatever task you're getting ready to go do, they're critical. You wear a certain type of shoes to do a certain type of thing. If you're going to play baseball, you're going to wear cleats. If you're going ice skating, you're going to wear ice skates. If you're going to church, you're going to wear whatever church shoes is in your house. Whether it's sneakers, whether it's uh, slippers, whether it's penny loafers, whatever it may be. Whether it's high heels, I don't know. Shoes match what you are going to do. And the Roman soldiers were no different. As I have studied these over the course of the last week, I have found that there were three primary features, get it, Features of this, dad jokes, <laughs> there were three primary features of this Roman footwear. And I believe that the feature matches the spiritual emphasis that I believe Paul was trying to get, get out of it. So if you've got notes, you want to follow along in that. The first feature of this Roman footwear was they were durable. First feature was durability. So when a Roman soldier would put these shoes on, they, they were called the caligae. And essentially what it was, was a half sandal, half boot, leather strapped in shoe. They would take these things called hobnails. It was a nail that they would put through to help give traction. We're going to get into that too a little bit in a second. But it was this big, thick. They would go through the whole Roman Empire, find the strongest leather that they could find. And that's what this Roman soldier would wear. And these footwear, it needed to be incredibly durable. It needed to be durable because the Roman's army, the Roman army, 
it was an army that was consistently on its feet. They didn't just sit and wait for a battle to happen. They were continually moving and going and doing. And as they would travel and go to these different places, one of the things that Romans' enemies would do to them is as they were traveling along these, you know, there weren't interstates and nobody was flying by helicopters or plane. They would be traveling on these dirt roads to go from where battle was happening or where home and peace was. And as they would be going, what the enemy would do oftentimes is in the ground, kind of like a, a, a past IED, is they would actually implant in the ground spikes, whether they're wooden, whether they're metal, whether they carved bone. And so what the Roman soldier footwear had to be able to do, it had to be able to withstand and be durable enough to not get punctured, to not get torn, to not get ripped. Because so much of the Roman military strategy revolved around these footwear, it was incredibly important that they were durable. A soldier who's hundreds of miles away from home, who's hundreds of miles away from resources, who gets an infected foot wound, is likely a person that they kill or ask to fall on their own sword because he has now become a liability. They did not have the same mentality that maybe a, a modern military does, that no one is left behind. If you are a liability, you were left behind. So the footwear had to be durable. In regards to, to us, in regards to what we're talking about from a, a spiritual side of things, I think to understand this, we have to go back to the verse and alleviate what I think is a big misnomer when it comes to the footwear in this armor of God. A lot of times when we think about this footwear, we think, oh, well, that, those are the shoes of peace. And that's maybe what you heard at VBS or, or Bible school camp or, or which is what that stands for or, or anything like Sunday school, whatever. We think these are the shoes of peace. But let's look at the verse. Put the verse up there, if you will, please. It says, and with your feet fitted with, not peace, it says fitted with the readiness. So when we talk about this footwear, we're not fastening it with the belt is truth, that the breastplate is righteousness, the feet are not peace. The feet are the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. See, what Paul is saying here is that you're not strapping peace to your feet. You're strapping readiness to your feet. And the raw material of readiness is this gospel of peace. Let me try to explain it to you like this. I think if Paul was here, he would say to each of us, in regards to the spiritual warfare that we're in, he would say readiness. Readiness is a mindset of either being prepared for what is coming or being unprepared for what is coming. He is saying that what you strap to your feet in this readiness from the gospel of peace will be what steers your mind. He's trying to make a connection of what it means to be head to toe prepared. Now, what's the opposite of being prepared? What's the opposite of being ready? Unprepared. All right? I have a reoccurring dream. I don't know where it comes from or why I have it. But I show up to a college baseball game, and I don't have everything I need for the game. I don't have hat. I don't have a glove. I don't have belt. I don't have pants. I'm just showing up totally unprepared, and I'm trying to steal stuff from other people. Like, I don't know why, but that's a recurring dream I have. It's a nightmare. And for some of you, that's your reality. Like, your, most, your greatest fear in life is showing up somewhere unprepared. You want to know what the dress code is? You, like, some of you, if you were coming to church today, you are like, okay, I wonder what I can wear to this church. Some of you for, at school, like, you, you're, the person, you're the mom who's like... And I love you because sometimes I know who you are. And like on the Sundays where I'm really hungry, I'll come and find you. and be like, hey, can I get that Nutri-Grain bar that I know you have in your purse? And they give it to me. It's happened. How many of us are prepared people in the room? If you're online and you're like, I live to be prepared. 
Like I, people around me, they're like, would you just chill out? Like the kids don't need SPF 50. Like it, they're just going to school in the car. They don't need to put sunscreen on. Like you're overpairing. You're, you drive people crazy with your desire to be prepared for whatever may happen. Yeah. You kind of have that military, if some of you in the military, and again, you know, this week we're going to be celebrating Veterans, uh, Veterans Day you know, this coming week. And so for all our veterans out there who have served our country, many of whom are, some are on staff here, some are, um, uh, you know, many in our congregation. Thank you for the guys and, and ladies who have served this country as veterans. Uh, thank you for the right, the privilege, the freedom that we have in this country. It's amazing, amazing honor. But in the military, the, the motto is two is one. One is None. Two is one, one is none. And regardless of how prepared you think you are, whether or not you're the person who like seeks to be prepared, or you're the person who like always shows up unprepared. You're the kid at school who's always like, um, can I borrow a pencil? And the smart aleck girl beside you would be like, uh, yeah, you can just have it. Um, if you don't know, I was the one who didn't have a pencil. Um, and I married that girl. Uh, she's great. She became my wife. <laughs> we get along great now. Um, But even those of us who are the best at being prepared, who have it all seemingly together, who have the first aid kits in our car, even the best of us still get blindsided by life. Even the best of us still get those calls. Even the best of us still get stung. You could be taking 50 milligrams of vitamin C and taking a bath get hand sanitizer and still get COVID. It doesn't matter how healthy you are, the doctor can still say you've got cancer. It doesn't matter how good you thought your parents' marriage was, they can still bring you in and say, hey, we're getting a divorce. It doesn't matter how good of an employee you were and how prepared you thought you were for whatever the economy would throw your way, you can still get let go. So what do you do when the unprepared happens? What do you do when there is something that you could just never, no matter how hard you tried, you could never have been prepared for what came your way? See, I think there's this lie that Satan spins to us. And, and this is what causes what I believe is some of the thing that robs us of so much of the peace that I believe God wants to give us is the thing that I believe triggers so much of our anxiety is that realization that we are unprepared for what is currently happening. And some of you, you, you freak, you're freaked out a little bit this week. So I'm unprepared for, for, for a Democrat president. I'm unprepared for this. I'm unpre- like some of us, we're, we're freaking out about things. We feel like I'm not prepared for this. And I want to show you the enemy's lie. that I believe many of us, me too, a lot, can tend to believe. Here's his lie in regards to being prepared and peace. His lie is getting prepared will give you peace. And that's why you drive everybody crazy. And that's why some of us are freaking out right now, because we believe that lie, that if I can just get prepared enough, if I can just have all the materials I need, if I can just have enough money, if I can just have enough of a secure job, if I can just have my kids getting into this college, make sure they'll be able to take care of me so I don't have to go to a nursing home, if I can just get as prepared as I can possibly be, then I can finally cross my arms, kick up my feet, put on my stretchy pants, and be at peace. And some of us, even though we laugh and we know that's a lie, we still continue to live like it is the truth. See, because here's, here's what maybe we don't realize, but Satan knows. Being fully prepared is impossible. It can't happen. You're never going to be fully prepared for what life is going to happen. You've already experienced that when you got that call that one Thursday. And here's God's truth that combats that lie. 
God's truth is this. Getting peace will make you prepared. And that's why I believe, again, go back to verse 15. He says, and you will have your feet fitted with the readiness, the preparedness that comes from the gospel of peace. So God's truth combats the lie that, hey, you get prepared all the way, fully ready to go, then you can have peace. God flips it paradoxically on its head and says, you get peace and then you'll be prepared. Now again, this peace that he's talking about here is not stretchy pants kind of peace. He's talking about being at peace with God. Knowing that, that, that I am actually like between me and God, a holy creator God, the person who actually has the power to do things that really can affect me and my life, not just on a blip on a radar like my life on earth, but forever, I need to be at peace with him. And in the same way that being fully prepared is a fool's errand that you'll never do on your own, being at peace with God is a fool's errand at well on your own. And in steps Jesus. And says, what you could never do on your own to make yourself at peace with God for you, following rules, doing the right thing, perfect attendance at church, tithing, you know, all this stuff. He said, you can never, by your good deeds, on your own, be at peace with God. But Jesus, God in flesh, came as a prince of peace, gave his life for you to make peace between you and a perfect God. And from there... Now we enter this place where what was impossible, us to be at peace with God, has been made possible by Jesus. Now we gain a faith that can actually be durable to withstand those things that we could never be prepared for. That's how our faith becomes durable because now we actually are sons and daughters of God. And just like how a Roman soldier would have to watch out for an enemy who would implant things under the ground who we would step on to tear him apart, we have to be aware that we have an enemy who wants to tear us to shreds. And where I believe the enemy seeks to tear us to shreds the most is in our mind. So many of us struggle with anxiety. In a room this size, and amount of people watching online, there are people who are clinically, and this is, again, this is why we do the lay counseling thing, because we want to help people from their mental health. He is seeking to destroy people from the inside out. And isolation only makes anxiety worse, which is why I think he is having a field day right now in the minds of so many people, believer or unbeliever. I want to show you the definition Biblical definition, when the Bible uses the word anxiety, what that Greek word means. You can write this down. I I would pray again a thought written down as a thought that you actually are anticipating, remembering, and it changing your life. The Greek word for anxiety in the Bible is this word marimna. Say it with me. Marimna. You got to roll that R. Sound exotic. Come on. There it is. Somebody over here got it. Here's what it means. I think it's going to be elegant ads up there. Literally means dividing or fracturing person into parts see most of our anxiety and sometimes in different seasons it is because there is just one overwhelming anxiety causing thing in our life sometimes that's the case but let's be honest most of the time that's not actually it most of the time our anxiety comes from an overwhelming amount of really underwhelming things We've got a thousand little things to worry about. And so we ping pong back and forth. And there's all this stress. And we're going this way about this thing and this way about this thing. And and just as soon as the marriage gets good, finances get jacked up. Just as soon as the kid's doing good at school, the other one's become, he just joined a street gang. Just as soon as all these things start happening, everything starts to also be falling apart. And we feel like we're being pulled to shred. And we don't even know what to worry about the most. He's saying that's, that's anxiety. That's what Satan wants to do. 
He wants you to be pulled in all these different directions so that you feel like you're being pulled apart the same. And when Paul is talking about this gospel of peace, he knew that one of the primary ways that the Roman footwear would be successful in, in allowing him to lead out his mission is if it was bound tightly together so that nothing that wasn't supposed to be in there got in. And that's what peace, as the Bible defines peace, uses this word, arine, my, my sweet almost 90-year-old grandmother's name is Mary Irene Shoemaker. And that's what that word means, peace, Irene. Here's the definition. It says, when all the essential parts are joined together, wholeness. Again, the Bible's peace is not you on a beach with a drink in the hand. That's not the Bible's version of peace. That would be nice, but that's not peace. It's when all the essential things are joined and bound together. That's why I believe Paul is saying, like, these are, these are shoes of peace. In the same way that it's bound and keeping what needs to be in there, in there, our minds, if we want to experience peace, we have got to find a way to, one, and this is hard, figure out what are the essential things. Like, what's going on with the Kardashians? Is that even a thing anymore? Like, that's not essential. What, what so-and-so down the road just now got in their driveway? That's not essential. What, what is on 90% of my newsfeed? That's not essential. What CNN, Fox, MSNBC, or C-SPAN, or whoever is trying to tell me to get freaked out about, that's probably not essential. And so what, what he's saying here is if you want to experience peace in your life, you have got to determine, and this is what, again, this all goes back and flows in together. You get into God's Word, and you determine the things that He says are essential. Things like loving your neighbor. Things like making disciples. Things like caring for orphans and widows. Things like stepping up for those who are abandoned and knocked down. He said you get in your mind the things that are actually essential and bind those up, then you have a mind that is whole. And see, when that happens, we have minds now that like a Roman tightly bound piece of footwear now become incredibly difficult for an enemy to penetrate. And we got to get to this place, guys, where we're mentally speaking. We say to the enemy, there is no more room in here for you. Everything that needs to be in here is in here. All the thoughts about who I am in Christ, they're in here. All of the things about my identity and my self-worth, they're in here. You don't have the right and the ability to now sneak in things to say, well, because I, I wear this size clothes, I'm less worth. You don't have the right and ability to say, because my, my lunch that I packed for my kids couldn't make it onto Pinterest, that I'm less of a mom. You don't have the right to get those things in my mind. My mind is bound up by who I am in Christ, what I am in Christ, and now I'm at peace and I'm at whole because I know the things that are supposed to be in there are in there. That's what it means to experience his peace. So the command here for us, is bind up. Bind up the essential things in your mind. The second feature of this soldier's footwear was stability. Stability. They gave a soldier the ability to be stable. And so in, in this ground, oftentimes they're fighting on sandy surfaces. And like I told you earlier, these pieces of footwear, these boots, they would have these nails driven through the soles and then covered by another piece. So obviously you weren't stepping on the heads of nails. But it was made to be almost like a cleat that a baseball player or a football player would wear. Probably closer to a baseball player because they're actually metal. So that in the hand-to-hand -hand combat, they could actually be able to dig in, have a good base, have a good foundation. So they could withstand the enemy as he was coming against him. And Paul's doing the same thing over and over again. That verse that we read when we started out and you stood up. Stand, stand, stand. He's coming against you. You better dig in, get down in your haunches, so to speak, and be ready to take a blow from him. I believe that's what Paul was trying to make us understand here, is that the enemy wants to catch you slipping. So you need, no, you must dig in. And what we dig into 
is the gospel of peace. So the foot, the shoe itself is readiness. He's saying, put on this readiness. But understand that readiness, what you're digging into, what the, if a cleat goes into the dirt, the cleat for you is the readiness. The dirt that it goes into is this gospel of peace. You are anchoring. You are getting down in the haunches. You are digging into this gospel of peace. And this is what that gospel of peace is, is that you were once not just someone who didn't believe in God, not just someone who had not accepted Jesus, that you, at a point in your life, and some of you right now who have not put your faith in Christ, you were enemies Enemies of God. Like the prodigal son in the, in the story, that almost even whether you're faith or not faith, you, you understand the story of the prodigal son. Like, he, here he is at the father's house, and in the father's presence has everything that he could ever need. But says to his father, even though I have everything that I could ever need, here with you, you are dead to me. And says, give me what I need. I want to go take what I have from you and go live on my own and do it my way. And for many of us, this is what we don't realize and understand about the gospel. At some point in our life, before faith, you were not just someone who was a bad person. You were an enemy of God. Which meant that you lined up on the other side against him. And it was your sin that made you an enemy of God. And again, the gospel of peace is that Jesus, while we said to God, God, you are dead to me. God, in Jesus, said to us, I am going to die for you. To make peace. So if you choose to accept that peace through faith, you can go from being an enemy of God to not just a friend of God, but a child of God. Now when you become a child of God, you get a whole new set of enemies. You get a new set. Because before you were a child of God, you were no threat to Satan. Before you were, became a child of God, he didn't give a rip about you. Do your thing. Go do you. I don't care. Be nominal. Go to church on Christmas and Easter. You know, do whatever. I don't care. Who, who, it doesn't matter. But when you put a flag in the ground and say, this is the side I'm on, then you have now earned the birthright and the birthmark of a believer, which is a bullseye from Satan himself. He is coming after you. And this, this is why we have to dig in because a blow from the enemy will come our way. Jesus promised it. This is why he said what he said in John 16.33. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us. So that in me you may have peace. He said, I want you to have peace. I'm telling you all these things. I want you to have peace. But then he says, in this world you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble. Not if you do a good life and, and be a good person, you'll get out of some trouble. Not if you send this amount of money to this really white teeth preacher, you'll get out of having any trouble in life. He says, in this life, there's no way around it. You will experience trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. See, one of Satan's best strategies is he wants us to get distracted on what's, you know, get distracted by what's coming up next. And we want to look under our leads for like, what's, what's Satan doing? Oh, maybe it was, it was God's will that, that Biden would get elected. And so that, that could be part of like the end times being triggered and all this will happen. We freak out about all these things. But listen, Satan's strategy is to get you focused on what could be next. What keyword could be, could be next. But you forget on what is now. The lost, the broken, the hurting, those who in this very moment, if Jesus was in fact to come back, like I do 100% wish he would, 
would not spend an eternity with you and me in heaven, but would spend an eternity separated from the God who loves them and gave his life for them. And so what we do, knowing that we have the ability that comes from this stabilizing feature that is this readiness of the gospel of peace, is we dig in. We dig into God's word like never before. We dig into the truth of Scripture. We dig into the relationships with those around us. We dig into our community groups. We dig into serving the lost and the least in the city. We dig into our marriages. We dig into our grandkids. We dig into those things because we realize that there is an enemy who is seeking to uproot everything good in this world. And see, when we do this, we gain the ability to experience what it is like to have the Prince of Peace living inside of us. Now this, this is why a lot of people, if you're watching this and you're, you're, you're exploring faith, or you're here and you're kind of figuring some things out and you're like, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. You've probably experienced people who claim to be a Christian and say that, this, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And again, when we become a Christian... This is that sanctification stuff that we talked about last week. This is justification. Jesus' life is now living inside of me. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. So we get that. Prince of Peace is living inside of me. But then we look at people and we're like, doesn't seem like it. I, like they're, I know they got baptized last weekend, but I'm looking online. I'm seeing them in person. Kind of seems like the same old guy. I think this is where we misunderstand who Jesus is as the Prince of Peace. See, if he is the Prince of Peace, why in the world would he come into our lives and become not just someone who brings peace to us, but is peace in us? Why would he come into our lives and be like, you know what, I'm chill with all of your evil ways. I'm chill with you being okay with sin. I'm kind of okay with you still struggling with that sin that you have since middle school. I'm okay with you still kind of have some racial mindsets. I'm okay with all those things. Like, why, what, what makes us think that he would come in as a prince of peace and just be okay with us staying the same way? He doesn't do that. See, when Jesus comes in, he doesn't want to come in and cross his legs and just say, okay, like I've made peace between you and God, now let's just relax until we get there. That's not his deal. He says, in the meantime, I am the Prince of Peace who has come to wage war against everything of your old life that would hinder your now life from looking like my life. That's his, that's his deal. And so when he comes in, he wants to wage war. What he, he doesn't come into our lives. And this is what, what frustrates some of us who have newly become Christians. You become a Christian, and it's not just like, boom, well, now I no longer struggle with that. You know, I don't, have any tr- I don't have any trouble pushing away from the table when I know I've had too much anymore. You know, when I see that girl jogging, you know, I, I, just, I just keep driving. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because he's put his spirit inside of you. But he's not going to do it for you. I want to show you a verse. Very, very, very powerful verse. I think confuses a lot of us. It's Romans 8, 12 and 13. Romans 8, 12 and 13. Let's look at this together. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Okay, so... Jesus is in us. We have an obligation. That means you have some things you got to do. Obligation. I'm obligated. But it's not to live according to the flesh. Again, that was everything in us that wanted to do things our way before we surrendered our way and said, Jesus, 
joy now. Verse 13, it's key. This is, so many people don't understand verse 13, so we don't understand really who Jesus is. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, if, you've got a, if you're an underliner, sorry to keep blocking things up here. If you're an underliner, would you please underline the word you in your Bible? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now let me first clarify some things and we're going to unpack some things here. When he's talking about putting to death and living, he's not just saying you're going to live a really good long life. He's saying, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, you will live. What he's saying there is you will inherit eternal life with God. You will live in eternal bliss in heaven with God if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. Now, the, the next part, or the part before that. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What he's not saying there is you're just going to become worm dirt. He's saying, friend, you have an eternal soul. You're not just a body that happens to have a soul. You're a soul that for right now just happens to have a body. And that soul inside your body is going to spend an eternity somewhere forever, either heaven or hell. And he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What he means by that is if you live according to the flesh, you will not spend eternity in the place where true life is. You will spend eternity in the place where death after death after death is, this place called hell, because it's separation from God. Now, that you hopefully somewhat understand that verse. Who is on the hook in this verse? You. You are. And I'm glad you can hear a pin drop. Because sometimes we get so riled up about Satan. And as I look back over the course of, of how I've preached to you over the course of these last few weeks in this, the mistake that I've made is I have made Satan seem more dangerous to you than you are to you. Here's, here's what I want you to see. If peace, peace with God... Peace with other people. If peace is what you want, then war is what you wage. If peace, if peace is what you really want in this life, which is what you need in this life, what God has made available to you in life, if peace is what you want, then war is what you wage, not against other people, not against the, the people who vote different than you or think different than you, not against people online. War is what you wage against your flesh. That's why he said, if by the Spirit, again, whose Spirit is that? That's not your rah-rah and you know, cheer-cheer. That's Jesus' Spirit living with you. If by the Spirit you put to death, that means there is a killing mean streak to everything within you as a Christian, who would make peace with sin. He says, if by the Spirit you kill. There's an amazing passage in a book uh, by a guy named Ed Welch. It's called The Banquet in the Grave. It says this, it is so, so true. It speaks to this idea of making war. That if we want peace, we've got to make it. Make war against our own flesh. He says this, the only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. It says there is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves, and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs, and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. And see, my, 
My fear is that we have not taken that same wartime vigilance in regards to us killing the own sin that we have in our lives. It is a violence against all lust and all enslaving desires for money, power, comfort, and approval. This is our enemy, and this is how it more. It's a violence against all racism in our hearts, a violence against this ho-hum indifference to impoverty and justice and abortion. We are at war against Satan. Don't get me wrong. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are 100% in war against him. But he's not nearly as dangerous as your flesh and your sin. Your flesh and your sin are the only thing that would ever give him a foothold in your life. Nobody, write this down, underline it, never forget this. Nobody goes to hell because of Satan. The only reason that someone will ever go to hell is because of sin. That's the only reason. So what this means is that the greatest enemy, my greatest enemy, your greatest enemy... Is not Satan. Trent Shoemaker's greatest enemy is Trent Shoemaker. So don't, don't dare prescribe that much power to an enemy. You're wasting the effort that you should be spending on violently going to war against everything in you that wars against the love of Christ that is now in you. That is how we fight. The third function of this armor is it gives them mobility. I've alluded to it a little bit already, but this soldier footwear was designed in a way that their military force could get where it needed to go. They were a decentralized military force. So the Roman Empire, the reason it was able to expand and be as big and as powerful and as overarching as it was is because they had little uh, microsites of military places all spread out throughout the kingdom so that if a fight broke out over there, boom, they could mobilize and get people there really quick. And again, they're not, you know, some of them are walking on horses, but most of that military is traveling by foot. So they had to be able to be mobile and move out and go where they needed to go. In the same way, for those of us who have now been made at peace with God, our call is to go. Go into a world that is desperate. Go into a world that is losing. Go into a world that is so confused, that is lonely more than ever, that is more anxious than ever. Move out and go into this world. It is not a settle-in peacetime mind. You've been made at peace with God. Make war against your flesh and then go make peace with a world who is at war with God and doesn't even know it. Move out. This is not a settle in, cross my arms and go, I'm at peace with God, so I'm just going to rest until I go see him. No, I'm at peace with God. And part of that peace treaty is I go and make disciples. One of the other key features to this Roman piece of footwear is that it was also used as a weapon. A lot of times when people talk about the armor of God, they will maybe refer to the only weapon, the only offensive, everything in the armor is a defensive weapon. The only offensive weapon is the word of God. And we're supposed to use the word of God as the sword of the spirit to fight against the enemy. Yes, amen, 100% true. Also, they'll maybe say the, the, the uh, shield, you can kind of smack people with a shield. Yes, okay, great. As I was studying this Roman footwear, though, I come to find out that it was actually used as a weapon. Here, here's a direct quote as I was reading and studying this. It says, additionally, iron nails were hammered into the soldiers' shoes to provide the collage, that's the word for the shoes, with reinforcement and traction. These nails were also an effective weapon against a fallen enemy. 
when I read that, it just gave me chills. Because Paul knows what he's doing. Paul is the same guy. Okay, so, so in the timeline of, of uh, epistles that Paul wrote, Romans was up here, and Ephesians, what we're reading right now, came later on. So Paul, back in Romans, wrote this. He wrote this in Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And here he's looking at this Roman soldier. And he, he's understanding that his, his footwear is an effective weapon against a fallen enemy. And I love how Paul, in a divine Holy Spirit inspiration, is tying these two thoughts together and saying, you, when you fasten your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, now you have an effective weapon against a fallen enemy. And how crazy is it for God to take messed up, jacked up, wilding out people, always slipping, people like us, and to say, yes, it is my gospel of peace. I did the hard work. I did the heavy lifting when I rose my son from the grave. But guys, I love you. I love you so much that I'm going to let you be the one who does the victory dance on his head. I'm going to let you under your feet. It's going to be my spirit, but it's going to be your muscles, your ligaments, your tendons that actually are what crush Satan's head. That God of peace gives you the power to do that. And, that's, and again, that's where, we, that's where we stop being like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. And that's where we roll out. That's where we, again, your greatest enemy is you. If you can get over that, there's nothing, literally nothing to be scared of. Nothing. And if I could, let me talk to the men in the room for a second. Men watching online for a second. I haven't leaned into you guys in a while. So let me do it here. In regards to this footwear, I believe wholeheartedly that the men in this room, if you're a husband, if you're a father, a grandfather, I believe it is your job to make sure that everybody in your house has their shoes on. That they're fitted and equipped. It's your job, I believe, to make sure they're ready. And I believe that it is also your job to make sure that the nails on your shoes are the sharpest. And I also believe that if, if anybody in your home has snake vision, it should be you. And I believe it. maybe there's so many men. There, there's a lot of men right now when we're tiptoeing around temptation. And, and maybe we see some of those temptations. We see some of those sins. And we see how the enemy is trying to slither his way into our homes, into our workplaces, into our cars, into our trucks. He's trying to slither his way in to our minds. And we kind of come at him like this. Like we're like, okay, I got these shoes on. Let me, I'm going to get you. I'm, you better move. What would you say back there? What are they doing? house yeah okay oh wait snakes um and, and we get so scared to take a swift move of action and and, I, and i'm calling you as men of god to stop playing with temptation to stop being okay to wake up to the war that's going on and again you don't crush something timidly how do you crush something you crush something you, you, smet, you, you take a swift move of action. And I, I'm, I'm saying there's some men of God in this room who need to take some swift moves of action. Some breaking some things off. Some ending things. Some resignations. 
Some, I'm done traveling. Some, I'm deleting this subscription. I'm going to a flip phone. I'm doing this. I believe there are some men of God in this room. I felt on my heart this week to lean into you a little bit this week because here's the deal. You've been denying the swift move of action that you know the Lord is leading you to take. Don't let Satan slither out from under your foot. Take a swift move of action now before he bites you or someone you love. Church, I love you. It's time for us to bind up, to dig in, and to move out. Feet fitted with the readiness that comes from that gospel of peace. If you're not at peace with God today, I invite you to surrender your heart to him. You'll be down here afterwards. You want to come talk, be made at peace with God. If you're online, fill out that form. If you want to put your heart and become back to peace, be, be at, finally at peace with God, peace in your mind, peace in your heart to know that, man, at the end of the day, I don't have to worry about being at peace with the popular kids at school. I don't have to be worried about being at peace with my boss. I, I am at peace with my creator God, and everything else is going to flow from that. If that's you, I invite you to pray this prayer. If you need that peace, let's pray. Jesus, I invite you now. to give me the peace that comes through faith in you. Forgive me for trying to make peace on my own. And I praise you for the peace that I now have in you because of what you did on the cross. How you who knew no sin, who had never sinned, became my sin on the cross so that I may be able to come the righteousness of God, be in standing with him, looked at as an at peace son or daughter. And I accept that. And I choose to live this life making war against everything in me that is not at peace with you. I love you, Jesus. I stand now in victory, declaring that you have won the war for my heart, for my mind, for my soul. In your name, amen.